Autism Through Cinema. Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, investigating autistic presence and expression on screen. We've been away on a short hiatus recently, while we've been busy getting some new episodes recorded. Thank you for bearing with us. We're excited to be back, ready to bring you another batch of episodes looking at films, filmmaking and cinema from the perspective of autism. We'll also be bringing you a few extra special episodes over the coming months, where we'll be talking with autistic filmmakers and researchers about their relationships to the moving image. The first of those, with visual artist Alicia Radich, will be released a fortnight from now. It's also worth saying that we've recently taken part in a crossover episode with our friends at the Talking Images podcast from the ICM Forum. Our regular host, David Hartley, joined the guys at Talking Images to discuss the 1979 satire Being There, starring Peter Sellers and directed by Hal Ashby. There's a link to this brilliant discussion in our show notes. Many thanks to Talking Images for having us. Today, we return to your airwaves with Lillian Crawford, John James Laidlow and David Hartley, who take a trip to the gloomy, rain-soaked, crime-ridden streets of Gotham City. Matt Reeves' latest take on the caped crusader, The Batman, is under consideration as we ponder the representation of neurodivergence in Paul Dano's depiction of the Riddler and Robert Pattinson's moody embodiment of Bruce Wayne. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Autism Through Cinema podcast. Uh, my name is David Hartley, um, and I'm very excited to be here again to talk about another film in the context of autism. It's a lot of fun, uh, particularly this film, I think, that we've picked today. Um, so I'm joined by uh, the, our regular hosts, uh, John James Laidlow. Hello, John James. Hello. Hi. How are you doing today? Have you enjoyed the sunshine? Uh, yeah, I have actually. I was quite quite shocked that I, I bothered to leave the house. I had nothing to do, so oh, that's really yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the spring sunshine has has hit us, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm so happy. This is my favourite time of year, um, and I'm also joined by uh, Lillian Crawford. Hello, Lillian. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's, it has been sunny. Um, I went to a uh, relaxed screening this morning of a film called River. Oh. Um, which I don't think they'd actually sort of previewed beforehand because it was an incredibly intense film uh, um, <laughs> with, with, with probably the most cuts in a film I've seen in a long time. Um, and uh, me and my girlfriend, who's also autistic, got very overwhelmed by it. Oh, so that, really? was, that was not good. <laughs> it had the opposite effect that they sort of intended it to. Oh, wow. Um, so we, went, we sort of relaxed in the sun afterwards to sort of... Keep calm. That's <laughs> nice. That's Wind down after after our relaxed screening <laughs> of a film about rivers. Um, yeah, I've seen yeah. that sort of the poster. I don't really know much about that film, but I've seen the poster, and it sort of looks like quite a nice and relaxing film. If it's just we about thought it rivers. was going to be calming and yeah. lovely, and it was just like drone shot after drone shot, like <laughs> corkscrewing down riverbeds. It was it was too it was too much. Um, you oh, know. Wow. I, I, 
If I uh, normally I'm fine with like sort of big action films like the Batman that we're seeing today. I was I was, mm-hmm. I was pretty okay in the cinema watching that. This film about rivers, I was just like freaking out. Oh wow! So yeah, maybe we need to do an episode at some point about like films that give us give us sensory overwhelm and meltdowns. Yeah. I don't know. About might, might be too dangerous a topic to to. We can't be sending everybody to well, see. Well, and and certainly what like what relaxed screenings should look like. Exactly. Like, how would you do a relaxed screening of the Batman? I think it would be hard because yeah. if you if if you kept the lighting low, you wouldn't actually see anything on the screen. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah, and actually, when I was googling around, you know, I did a little bit of googling ahead of this uh, recording, and yeah, there are a couple of relaxed screenings happening of this film, okay. so um, they, mu- they must have found a way. But yeah, yes, and and as uh, uh, Lillian has already revealed, we are. Oh, sorry, um, that's all right. Don't worry. Every, I mean, it's nonsense, really, because everyone knows exactly what we're talking about because the title of the podcast episode is going to be the Batman, so they'll know okay. exactly what we're talking about. So it's fine. Um, so yeah, we are here to talk about the Batman. Um, which is the latest iteration of uh, the the Batman saga or franchise, I suppose you might call it, um, uh, which is currently at cinemas. So we are very on trend. This is the most on trend we have been on this podcast, I think. I'm not so sure we've ever really talked about something that's been out of the cinemas at the same time so far. Um, so we decided that we're yeah we're going to be talking about the Batman today. Um, the the Batman is directed by Matt Reeves, and it is. Um, Currently doing the rounds at the cinemas, it stars Robert Pattinson as um, as the Batman, uh, Zoe Kravitz as Selina Kyle, aka Catwoman, Paul Dano as the Riddler, and an almost unrecognisable Colin, Colin Farrell as the Penguin, which was quite interesting, um, and various other stars as well in there. It's currently on release and. Uh, also, it's nearly three hours long, but we'll talk about that I think later on. Um, <laughs> The reason why we have been, we are considering the Batman for this film, this was actually brought up by our other regular, um, Alex Widdowson, who unfortunately couldn't be with us today to do the, the actual recording, but he is the one that, that pitched this as an idea. And so I asked him to send a prepared statement. A prepared statement? I mean, I sound like his lawyer. Um, <laughs> He has asked me to read out this statement. No, I asked him to send send us a statement so that I could, um, uh, yeah, read out a few of his thoughts, and then we can sort of use that as a as the point of discussion going forward. Okay, so these are now the words of Alex Widdowson. He says, "A few days after seeing the Batman, I discovered an an intriguing Instagram post about autism representation." It appeared to be a screenshot of a Guardian Opinion article with the headline How the Batman's Riddler Perpetuates Harmful Stereotypes About Autism by Angela Geiger. This is followed by the subheading As CEO of Autism Speaks, I've spent my life fighting for the destigmatization of autism. Paul Dano's The Riddler reinforces harmful stereotypes about men living on the spectrum. After some quick googling, I was able to confirm that this was a parody. The crux of the joke seemed to be that the Autism Speaks leadership are so in denial about their disdain for autistic people that when they attempt to advocate for the autistic community, they revive and extend old harmful stereotypes, creating new and more toxic versions. So it's perhaps worth mentioning for listeners who don't know about Autism Speaks. So Autism Speaks is one of the loudest and most problematic charities in the sector. They're mostly based in the US. Well, they are based in the US. 
Their website makes use of identity-first language, despite the strong consensus against this among autistic people. They fund research into prenatal testing that would facilitate autistic fetuses being aborted, and they are prominent advocates of applied behaviour th- behavior analysis, which autistic survivors has described as traumatising and equated to gay conversion therapy. And yeah, just for my part, I, I've come across Autism Speaks many a time in my bits and pieces of research about autism, and they are a pretty hateful (laughs) organisation. Back to Alex's words. So, according to spoof Angela Geiger, we need to stop seeing autistic men as evil savants. But is the joke just directed at Autism Speaks? There's something more complex on the surface. What does it say about the left-wing media, Guardian articles about issues of representation, and podcasts like our own? Parody is a useful tool. For example, mockumentaries help us better understand the documentary genre, uh, exposing its codes and conventions independently from factual content. It shows that so much of documentary production is about achieving a style that feels like reality rather than giving access to reality. So the question becomes, what does this parody of us or our kind of work teach us about our process? What does it mean for us to say a fictional character is autistic? Do we feel uncomfortable reading a villain as autistic? If so, does this suggest our analytical methods are biased towards predetermined political goals, i.e. the neurodiversity movement? At one point, Rain Man was seen as progressive. How might our discussions be viewed in 30 years? Then he says, these might be silly questions, but my aim is to prompt the group to engage in a reflexive conversation about our work and what it means. And then he says, I'm sorry I can't be there, have fun. Which is a nice little sign-off after all that. With an ominous dot, dot, dot at the end. Yes, with an ominous triple dot at the end, <laughs> suggesting that we probably won't have fun, but then, um, maybe we will. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, so that's what uh, Alex's pitch to us there. So there's a couple of things going on there. He sort of wants us to be self-reflexive about the kinds of autism stereotypes that we discuss and therefore maybe perpetuate in our role as a kind of left-wing media outlet, I suppose. Um but also we have this film, we have the Batman as well, um, and uh, I think there are a few things that we can discuss around representation of neurodivergence and neuro, uh, neurodiversity within the context of this film, not least through the character of the Riddler, but also probably through Br- Bruce Wayne and Batman as well. Um, okay, so that's that's where we're at with it. So I'm going to pitch it out to you guys, and uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts, what are your responses? I think that there's immediately something sort of problematic with 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 villains is that we, of course they're sort of neurodivergent because they are psychopaths and bad like particularly in sort of the context of someone like the Riddler or the Joker it's like these are sort of people that end up in Arkham Asylum so they're they're not going to be sort of um presented in the best light um, in terms of the way that sort of their minds work. Um, That being said, I think that there is, in this film, um, more so than perhaps previous depictions of the Riddler, and um, I'm particularly thinking of Jim Carrey and Batman Forever, that there is sort of something a a lot more um, human about him, that he's not just sort of playing to sort of insane inverted commas stereotypes and that, that are very harmful but he is actually trying to play someone who who could exist in the real world which i think is sort of what 
Christopher Nolan's Batman films wanted to do was to make it feel more like these are villains that could come from the real world and from our society. Um, as as we all know, we we live in a society, as, as the Joker says. So um, we 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 um, I think with with Dano's characterization, it's very much sort of like, what if like this guy who sort of gets very obsessive ends up being like. The Zodiac Killer, for example, or something from a from a David Fincher um, film, which it often feels like. Um, so I, I suppose it's interesting to sort of consider how villainous characterization has changed from something that is very obviously and blatantly a stereotype towards something that is perhaps more subdued and maybe even realistic. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting thought. I I, I would uh, I would. I think I would agree with that. I have been thinking a little bit as well about um, <laughs> Jim Carrey's version of the Riddler, um, just purely because I sh- I used to absolutely love Batman Forever when I was a kid. I, I like I I I've not seen it for many years, but it was one of those films that I really really in- enjoyed watching repeatedly as a kid. But yeah, I think that's interesting what you're saying there, Liliana. Um, that he sort of presents a sort of slightly more realistic, perhaps, version of. The Riddler. Um, that was, I think, one of the more successful things about uh, this film is is the Riddler's believability. And so, to explain for people who haven't seen it, and also to also note as well, of course, that um, we uh, we have to also say that we will probably be massively spoiling the the Batman uh, all the way through this. So just be careful that if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, then then we will be spoiling it a bit. Um, but the Riddler in this is a kind of represent. He's represented as a kind of um, sort of incel, a toxic sort of incel, heavily online man, who uh, is railing against uh, what he sees to be the kind of corruption of the of Gotham, and is going going around killing various high ranking officials who are deeply corrupt, and in that sense, is trying to almost trying to sort of partner up with Batman in a way, is almost trying to is almost sort of trying to say that he's doing the same thing that Batman is doing. He's rounding up the um corrupt members of Gotham and doing away with them. The only difference being of course that Batman doesn't kill them, um uh, and the Riddler does. And he sort of is this kind of masked figure, mostly online. He you see him being streamed quite a lot, um live streaming his kind of rants and his screams um and i think that's partly of what is is being sort of explored in this kind of parody that that alex is talking about that he's discovered is this idea that um yeah that that, that paul dano's riddler riddler is this kind of incel character and then making that next step to connect the idea of the incel with the autistic figure um, or the, not the autistic figure, the autistic person, um, which is problematic and difficult and, uh, and is a kind of uh, tricky thing to sort of pull through and pull together. Um, and uh, I, and it, it, must, it sort of should be noted as well that this, this, this thing, this little thing that Alex has found is a parody and the kind of, the, the leadership of Autism Speaks haven't actually said this they haven't actually made this connection nor has anybody else by the looks of things when i was sort of googling around this was almost like a preemptive joke about what somebody would say about paul dano's version of the riddler tying him into this 
um, other kind of interest in uh, incel culture being kind of linked to autistic men. Um, that's the sort of the way I was looking at it and reading it. Uh, but I thought that it, for the film, it works quite well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think um, the characterization of the Riddler in this film is very, you know, it, it does draw upon sort of incel culture and and um, methods of communication, I guess, and, you know, the, the live streams and the message boards and... Um, and I mean, it it is kind of an issue with with autistic men sometimes that that they do fall down this this sort of pipeline into um, incel alt right sort of um, topics um, because they're so sort of disenfranchised and ostracized and. Mm, they feel that they're owed a girlfriend and most of the time and and they can't and they feel like they can't get one which is you know is is a huge issue and you see, you see um you see people excusing the behavior of autistic people by saying oh you know they don't understand or um or sort of opting out of topics such as sex education and consent because autistic people wouldn't understand that but I mean that it's perpetuating this issue and it's um it's kind of it's more ableist to assume that people can't can't learn about these topics then then to just not teach them yeah um yeah and there's definitely something like in in the sort of the idea that if you sort of divert away from society that there's this sort of stereotype of the sort of very mathematically minded autistic person, the sort of person who loves doing like sort of GCHQ type puzzles and, and coming up with these ciphers. And um, and, and I, I wonder to some extent if that's what the comparison that, that the film is sort of insistent upon, that there is a sort of comparison between the Riddler and, and, and the Batman that that's the way that they're able to communicate with each other that, that, that it's almost like the Riddler is sort of assuming that because the Batman is similar to him that Bruce Wayne is going to interact with him through these codes and through these ciphers which all of, the, all of them are addressed directly to him there's a sort of card on each of the murder scenes that says to the Batman and it has these 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 codes and he just sort of assumes almost that Bruce Wayne will get the same level of pleasure out of his game that he's having. Um and I, I, I wonder if if that's sort of consciously sort of um a a sort of misreading of 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 neurodivergence that the film is sort of doing intentionally or if that's just sort of to what extent that's actually sort of relevant um yeah i th i think i think that that's kind of what that where that's coming from that there's uh so some i mean i i often think like that the way that i find it easiest to communicate with people is to talk about films that's like because most people have watched films of one form or another um and i'd sort of learned from a very young age that people like films 
Um, so I thought, well, if I watch all of the films, then I will always be able to talk to people because films are sort of contained versions of reality. And if you understand, if I understand a film, I can relate a film to pers- a person and how they behave. Um, I almost wonder if there's there's something in that in terms of sort of well, when you can't communicate or you find it difficult to communicate in a sort of neurotypical fashion. How do you go about it? My example is obviously much less extreme than <laughs> um, becoming a serial killer and, and, and sort of creating these almost like sort of escape room settings, which are quite fun. I mean, there's a, there's a reason that they've that Matt Reeves has done that in this film is that there is definitely an appeal to that. I think now more than ever in a sort of, um, as I said earlier, like a sort of Seven or, or Zodiac kind of kind of vibe that there isn't... There's a form of entertainment to it um, that that may, 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 maybe that's not something that is connected to sort of um, the way that brains work. I don't know, um, but it's it's certainly interesting that those those murders are so pointed in sort of a message rather than just being sort of terrifying it in the fact that there doesn't seem to be any reason to them mm-hmm. or, or or object which i think there is the case in, in with some batman villains but it does feel sort of anarchy for the sake of anarchy like bane mm-hmm. or something in dark knight rises so i think i found that aspect quite quite compelling at first i mean i lost interest by the fifth sixth seventh or whatever <laughs> of these same scenes going on for for an interminable sort of 180 minutes but um <laughs> I, I i think that Early on, I thought, oh, this is doing something quite different to other superhero films and that it is engaging with sort of the psyche of, of the villain in, in that way. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, um, it's interesting to think of it in that way, that the, that the Riddler is... That there is a sort of psychology being explored within the Riddler's character and one that is trying to sort of tap into... Um, a very real anxiety of the present moment, I guess, through through um, incel culture and and um, the fracturing, I guess, of communication through uh, being massively online and being sort of contained within a kind of online world and in a kind of feedback loop and that kind of space. Yeah, I too, I, I mean, I've always been fond of the Riddler as the, as a sort of my favourite of the Batman villains. Um, you know, classically, the Joker is is all about anarchy and chaos uh but the riddler seems to have a little bit more um thought process behind behind his actions i suppose my own my frustration with this film my main frustration with this film was that we didn't get enough time to sort of sit with the riddler's riddles i always quite like sitting with the riddles and like maybe trying to figure them out a little bit um little word bits of wordplay but like batman was just like getting the answers instantly which was so (laughs) annoying like Give someone else a chance, Bruce. <laughs> Bloody hell, come on. We don't, we're not all instantaneous geniuses, like, just getting this, in, this answer straight away. So that, I thought, was a bit irritating. I thought they could they could have let us sit with the with the actual puzzles, and the puzzles with the puzzles could have been better, I suppose. But, um, yeah. Do you think to some extent that he was sort of like, in that sense, Batman is sort of like a Sherlock Holmes figure yeah. in terms of sort of the, the way that he behaves in those scenes 
and the sort of aloofness and the, the like the police not wanting him in and the you know the sort of yeah. Lestrade um, issue with uh, with with Sherlock. It's just, I, I I I was watching those scenes thinking, are they sort of trying to play into the same kind of like uh, sociopathic stereotypes that that Sherlock was accused of around mm. sort of Benedict Cumberbatch's characterization of, of of Sherlock? And I I thought that was quite a strange direction to go in for a superhero film especially a batman film um yeah, yeah sorry really... I, I interrupted you it was just something i'd thought about no 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 it's right yeah he, he does very much lean into the, the detective side of of batman and in a way actually i think i mean i'm not an uh, expert on batman necessarily but i think he did originate as a kind of detective it's character. detective comics it's detective <laughs> comics isn't it exactly um, so maybe they were trying to lean into that, but it all also adds to that kind of David Fincher seven esque vibe as well of the of the kind of cop buddy cop duo who are fiddle, you know figuring out the grisly sequence of murders. Um, but yeah, I mean re- related to what uh, to the inter- so I was doing a bit of reading this afternoon on the um, on the connection between autism and incel culture, and you've already mentioned John James about there being that kind of problem within that sphere of. Um, particularly autistic men being kind of attracted into the world of big, of the the incel culture. And for, I guess for listeners who are unfamiliar with what the term incel means, it refers to um, people who refer to themselves as involuntarily celibate, um, shortened to incel, and generally tend to be quite toxic, well, very toxic men who are extremely anti-feminist and, and sort of band together in kind of online communities and just share lots of horrible like jokes and thoughts and messages and and etc um particularly surrounding women because they tend to be men who believe themselves to be like they're they're usually men with like very low self-esteem who don't believe that they're very attractive or very um uh are not are not going to be the sort of men that are selected or chosen by women and therefore turn that into a lot of bitterness towards women um and that's partly what this paul what paul dano's riddler character is kind of tapping into that kind of world um and it is interesting that there is a connection there with or there is a seemingly a connection there with autism because there's this there's this sense that autistic men who who are maybe are maybe prone to becoming disaffected and and might struggle to make friendships and have relationships end up within these kinds of communities the problem then for me is um a lot of the discussion around incel culture quickly starts to talk about violence and about um the the perpetrators of extreme acts of violence um and there have been instances of kind of incel types who have gone out and done very horrible things and mass shootings and all sorts of really distressing problem problematic things and then what we find happening is this other kind of phenomenon of of the of the media then um zeroing in on autism as a part a part of the kind of reason for this person of doing violence effectively uh, or one of the reasons or sort of a, one of the collected sort of psychological reasons for this person um perpetrating this violence and which is a really difficult and really problematic area, uh, but it it is worth noting, of course, that most autistic people are not super violent people who are going to go out. And actually, they're more much more likely to be um, much more likely to be victims of crime rather than the perpetrators of crime. 
But there is this phenomenon within the media of attaching autism to these kinds of people and, say, and sort of saying that this is one of the reasons why this person has done this. And when you then transpose that over to the Batman universe, you do have this, as you were saying earlier, Lillian, have this very problematic representation of mental health conditions which are all attached to the various villains of the, of the Batman world and also kind of villains, super villains anyway within any sort of superhero world are often sort of these people who are supposedly schizophrenic or, or have borderline personality disorder. And as I've discovered doing some sort of little bit of research, the Riddler is often connected to autism, maybe partly because of this kind of preference for sort of riddles and puzzles and and the uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so it's an interesting and it's a, it's a murky and interesting world, but it's like it's 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 something that was troubling me while I was kind of watching and and contemplating the Riddler as a kind of autistic figure potentially. Um, Yes, because of course most autistic people are not. And autism is not a thing that predisposes people towards violence. Uh, it is the situations of society that might lead autistic people and other non-autistic people into kind of worlds of extremity. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry that took a quite a grim, <laughs> grim turn. Then I think that there's there's quite a good um, video essay by ContraPoints on YouTube about. Um, incels and incel culture which I watched it ages ago so if, if anyone listening wants to know more about it she does a pretty deep dive into that. Excellent, thanks John James, we'll find that link and we'll, um, we'll add it to the, the description I think of the podcast and hopefully people can have a look yeah. It's interesting that we're, we're sort of talking about autism and, and, and sort of the extent to which there's almost a sort of moralistic implication that um you know if 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 we are to take it that bruce and and the riddler both are autistic and they sort of take that in different directions almost or or sort of you know that 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 autism doesn't make you a bad person that's that comes from something else or if that's sort of the implication i think that it's interesting as well that there's a sort of narrative in a lot of superhero films and, and in cinema in general of, of sort of the person of two people having the same sort of trauma and the way that those two people sort of respond to it in different ways. So in this case, both the Batman and the Riddler are orphans um, whose parents were, am I right in saying the Riddler's parents were killed? I can't, I can't remember. Um, I think so. so. Yeah. And it's the same again, that there's this, this sort of vicious circle that, the Riddler then kills um, the mayor and, and, and leaves this child without a father and, and, and sort of this connection mm. that Batman has with the child. And there's almost a sort of level of hinting that, you know, this is that kid's origin story. What's it going to make him become? You yeah. know, that, what, that trauma must inherently sort of drive you to, on a path of righteousness or, or, or on a path of revenge. And, mm. and I... And I I mean, obviously, the the Batman himself obviously keeps saying that he's vengeance, and <laughs> Catwoman sort of calls him out for it, and Nick claims his vengeance in a very funny way. Um, <laughs> and and I, it it is interesting to see how sort of that 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 the, there are these similar backgrounds, but it's almost like there's this this very clear sort of very ancient idea of sort of good and evil that yeah. you know it's not. It's not our experiences or our, or our mental health issues that sort of make us bad or good people. That comes from sort of the way that we allow it to 
to manifest itself. Mm. Um, and I, I wonder almost why that's been allowed to sort of continue to drive the plots of these films. Like you'd think that that people would get kind of bored with that <laughs> eventually. Mm. That the, 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 they don't. We we need something sort of more interesting. Well, I suppose you can have radioactive spiders or or, or whatever <laughs> as, as sort of the origins of these things. Um, but I think in this case, it's particularly interesting that there is such a, a sort of clear parallel drawn between the two characters and the way they interact. And I think yeah. I think that's definitely the most compelling aspect of this. Um, it's when it sort of veers into sort of almost fan service territory, like the Barry Keegan as, as the Joker sort of yeah. showing up in, in Arkham. I, I don't know if you saw this, this scene that had sort of been deleted, this five-minute scene... Um, that was an interaction with between Batman and, and, and Barry Keegan's Joker in within, um, and he was sort of asking him what his approach was to sort of the Riddler and how, how he should sort of track him down, and he's sort of mocking the Batman for the same things that the Riddler ends up mocking him for in the final cut, which is, which is you know, that there's actually... But this is a guy who thinks he's got a lot in common with you, and the Batman doesn't want to hear any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is that sort of scene at the end where... The Riddlers in in Arkham and 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 they're sort of joking together about having making friends and so on. It's like, ah, oh, okay, so we've got we've got a new Suicide Squad or whatever, yeah. like <laughs> on the way, the the Suicide Squad. I don't know what what they'll do um, to reinvent that. But um, well, I guess yeah. The next so one... there, there are these aspects to it, but yeah. also there is something there is something interesting going on. I just don't think it's particularly effective. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> Well, by the, by the end, Batman or Bruce, uh, he sort of he sort of sheds that that word vengeance, doesn't he? he sort of because the, there's that really compelling. I really like the opening of this film. Actually, there's that really compelling bit at the beginning where where Batman is doing his sort of like Fincher esque uh, voice gruff voiceover in the kind of noir city where he's he's talk you know reflecting on the fact that when they put up the bat signal, all of the criminals get scared but they're just they're scared of the shadow they're scared of him emerging from the shadows and so he's lurking in all shadows across the sea I thought oh this is quite interesting this is quite poetic and interesting and he sees very much sees himself at that point as vengeance as this this person that's coming out um and sorting out these people out but then by the end he's 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 changed his mind I guess I guess suppose that's supposed to be the arc that he's gone on through the journey of this of this narrative by that end he's 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 shrugging off this idea that he's vengeance and he's now this saviour, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, as he sort of gently carries an injured child and puts them on a stretcher and and sees them off into the helicopter. Um, yeah, and it, but it is yeah. There's a, there is an interesting attempt there, I suppose. To I mean, it's classic Batman of finding the kind of the hero and the villain as the different sides of the same coin. Um, uh, but there's the moment when the when Batman meets Riddler in the jail, sort of near towards the end, and um, the Riddler genuinely believes that he's got a friend in Batman, or he genuinely mm-hmm. believes he's like the sidekick almost of Batman, or the kind of co- that they're doing this together. And Batman just completely refuses him, and the Riddler just goes mad about that. He's just like, no, 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 mm-hmm. this is not correct. Um, so it was nice to get to that point and for that fantasy to sort of break, like I guess. Mm. Yeah, and there's a sort of overwhelm to that as well in his response. It's, yeah. it's sort of he really can't process what's happened because it's so 
his whole world has sort of fallen apart. And I thought that was quite quite a powerful piece of acting from mm. from Paul Dano. Um, yeah, and and he also um, he also sings uh, Ave Maria. And the, there's, uh, I, I thought I think this is one of the the interesting things about the film is that you know. The, <laughs> Reeves clearly wants this to be a sort of, you know, epic three-hour sort of Wagnerian mm. um, opera, like, and and there are these light motifs that are used for all of the different characters, um, and the and so the Batman has this sort of like very brassy Giacchino like five-note sequence or four-note sequence rather, which is sort of like one and two, three, four or something. I can't remember, mm. um, and. Um, Selena Kyle, of course, has this very melodic sort of piano music because, you know, she's a woman. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, but then the Riddler has Ave Maria by Schubert, which is so weird. Mm. It's such a strange choice. And I wonder if that's to sort of code this, this softness to him in the same way that mm. it's sort of like, what is, what is, what is, this, is a, this is a fragile soul almost, someone that someone that should have been taken care of but was sort of let down by the system or yeah. or whatever and, and and as a result of that maybe that's why his sort of mental health issues the trauma the the, the potential neurodivergence sort of manifested itself the way that it did mm -hmm. um and i think that's always the interesting thing about the sort of batman films is that it's the system that is corrupt, that that's ultimately the villain. And really, yeah. what a lot of what the Riddler's saying is true and, and, and worthwhile. It's just the way he's doing it is so, <laughs> so wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but you can see why he's doing it and that actually the villains are sort of everywhere kind of plot. That I, 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 th I think it, it's, it's, these, these are all very interesting ideas that this film has. It's just so frustrating sort of seeing them played out in the way that they are yeah um i wonder if that you just mentioned um selena kyle's um theme and 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 that she's she's different because she's a woman but she has quite significant trauma as well mm. and she doesn't she doesn't fall into the you know the trap I don't, I don't know what i'm trying to say she doesn't fall into the binary of either being a hero or a villain she's just kind of getting on with her own stuff she's you know she she wants she wants what she feels is owed to her and then she wants to get out of town she's not on some grand mission um yeah yeah that's really interesting i i think she's she's such an interesting character as a sort of as you say, is sort of existing between this sort of binary that's been set up between um, between Batman and Riddler of sort of good and evil, and, and mm. that that she uh, she's not she's not like other Catwomen. She's not sort of deliberately coded as a villain in any way. She's, if anything, she's sort of uh, sort of existing in the in in the sort of in between space between between those two things. And obviously, she has this sort of. In these interactions with Batman, but at the same time, she she she's she's much more sort of connected to to who is sort we sort of implied to be her girlfriend um, that mm -hmm. she sort of refers to as baby um, a few times and and who who goes missing and you know there's there's something very human to that and when she's sort of stealing she's not stealing for sort of wealth purposes like Anne Hathaway's Catwoman or Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman where it's sort of you know. 
it's very selfish. He's a very selfless person. Mm. Um, and I think it, I think it's such a such a classic thing of these superhero films, where there is queer representation to make it so muted to the point where mm. the, the it this is supposed to be a sort of adult version of Gotham, an adult version of Batman, mm. and yet it feels completely sexless as a film. Like you don't believe that anyone has ever had sex in this world. <laughs> like. It's just there's sort of creep. There's like these really creepy men in a sort of like yeah. last night in Soho kind of sequence where she sort of goes into the Penguins Club and it's like these men are sort of staring at her. So sex is very much a sort of if it, if it exists, it's it's sort of predatory. It's 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 entirely ne- a negative thing. So it's a shame that we almost don't see that a bit more between sort of. Selena Carl and her and her and her girlfriend, mm. um, and 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 also sort of what you were t- tying into this sort of uh, with incel is sort of about the celibacy and sort of the, yeah. the sexlessness of it. <laughs> it's it, it's sort of interesting to see like the interaction between Batman, who supposedly has everything, or Bruce Wayne, who supposedly has everything, and the really awkward scenes that he has with with Selena Carl, where they sort of have this this peck on the lips moment which is sort of like you know limits of the haze code style um, sort of sexual um contact it's 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 really strange there's so it's so at odds with the vibe that the film is trying to go for i think yeah i found that the the sort of the the kisses of of selena kyle catwoman and batman um to be I just shrugged when, like, I just sort of went, "Why did you bother with that?" Because you just were going for a bit of a Hollywood kiss there, and there was no need for it, no reason for it. There was, I couldn't even really detect any sort of sexual tension between the two of them. They just looked like buddies for me. Like the Catwoman in this was like, um, she was like a sexy Robin. She was, she was like his sidekick, really, <laughs> and and which was fine actually. And I quite liked, as you're saying, I quite liked the idea of casting her in that way. And when she the sort of few moments that she had of 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 action were were quite fun and you know she uses a her little a whip to pull people over and that kind of thing and and <laughs> quite like that you know and um i almost ended up wanting to see more of her and, and wanted to explore her life a little more um and yeah the the very half-hearted kisses that 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 robert patterson's batman did not look like he was particularly into at all by any stretch um i couldn't I couldn't actually remember if they kissed or not until you mentioned it, Lillian. I was trying to remember. It's, it's, it's just such a nothing moment. Yeah. Like, if if there was going to be any kiss in the film, it should have been when when Catwoman sort of comes home and 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 sees, you know, and her girlfriend's worrying. Like a sort of yeah. any kind of like sort of interaction between them. It's so it's it was so strange that there was this sort of relationship set up that wasn't which we weren't even allowed to know. It was almost like it was that classic trope of like, oh, they're just really two really good friends who share an apartment and and sleep in the same bed. Like, you know. Like, yeah. It's so frustrating watching a lot of superhero I mean there's something that I've sort of complained about with Marvel for for years and then Chloe Shaw tried to do it in, in sort of Eternals with, like, the most sexless sex scene that I've ever seen. <laughs> it was sort of um, um, uh, Richard Madden and um, Gemma Chan sort of mm. humping on, on rocks in the desert. And you're just like, what is this? There's no, no emotion in this at all. Um, 
wonder what it is about superheroes then. Uh, I don't know. They're, 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 they're just so sexless or sort of like, I don't know, it's like their quests are just too important or too massive to be bothered with that kind of thing. I don't know, because there's never been any chemistry. But it it almost sort of ties into that those stereotypes we were talking about of sort of autistic people. Yeah. Of, of, of this sort of... The autistic people don't understand sex and 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 are sort of d- 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 differentiated from it or or are removed from sort of the ways that neurotypical people are able to sort of um, intimately interact. It's it has this sort of very strange, unrealistic feeling to to these relationships to the point that it almost feels clinical in all of the ways that people sort of interact with each other. Mm. Yeah, it does. It's curious. Just thinking of um, the scenes with Robert Pattinson and um, Zoe Kravitz, um, there's, a, there's a really awkward, horrible, well, quite horrible bit where um, the Batman sort of blames um, Selena Carl's um, girlfriend for, for what she, she got into, you know, because presumably she she was a sex worker or a dancer um and um you know that's that's very tied in with sort of incel philosophy as well like you know that it was somehow her fault um mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and there's there's that whole the 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 thing that I really liked that 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 sort of Zoe Kravitz sort of brought to that performance was 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 that Selena Kyle is sort of calling out Batman's privilege like <laughs> like yeah. finally someone has said to Bruce Wayne <laughs> just remember that you, you know you had so much to fall back on and, and I and I guess that's also the Riddler's shtick as well but he obviously does it in a very in a much more problematic way than than Selena Kyle does where it's like well it. it you you wouldn't understand. You don't know what it's like to not not have money and to sort of get caught in these worlds mm-hmm. and 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 the sorts of interactions that they're supposed to have. I mean, there is this that, that does sort of lead into um, one of those sort of classic like I he's your father <laughs> moments in these sort of blockbuster yeah. films, um, where again it's sort of implied or or, or even d- not implied but sort of overtly discussed that that her. Her mother was was um, sort of had had was working as a sex worker in in right. the Penguins Club with um, what's his name Fal- jo- Falcone. That's it, Falcone, John Turturro's character, and 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 that he is sort of ma- massive spoiler, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that he's her father, um, and that she has this sort of revenge plot almost. That that you know that there is a sort of element of 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 sexual assault and then sort of disownership of 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 her and the, and the child and that the, there's this sort of almost rape revenge storyline going on that is done within the shortest period of runtime within this film <laughs> like considering that there are 3 hours going on mm-hmm. there's there the, I think the last hour had more material than the first two it was just like <laughs> I couldn't quite keep up with all of these different threads of plot that were coming in but i think you're right that there is there is it has this sort of problematic um look (laughs) almost everything that it tries to sort of grapple with um and i think its intentions are probably quite good but as you say it's sort of the batman doesn't come out very well from that 
But maybe that's maybe that's the aim that he is supposed to be sort of morally complex and not and not sort of the beacon of of good and right that that he believes that he is. Yeah, well, I, I sort of wanted to to dwell on Bruce and 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 the the Batman as well as a potential sort of neurodivergent figure. I, I, one of the things I was thinking about um, was. Uh, and this is sort of more broad than the, just this film. This is this is the Batman universe more generally. Um, I, 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 I always, I've always been quite drawn to Gotham. I think as a as a as a space of imagination. I, I um, more so than the kind of other cities that other superheroes sort of dick about in. I like, uh, for want of a better phrase. I've always been quite interested in Gotham. Gotham seems to be sort of quite a, a sort of successfully gothic space. And I was trying to think through, like, what is what is the success of Gotham? Why is Gotham such a compelling place to, to spend time in? And thinking about it through in the kind of context of autism and representations of autism and thinking about autism, I, I kind of see now Gotham as this place that is... Um, that is kind of uh, characterized by an extreme lack of empathy. Like there is no, there are, there's just no empathy within anywhere of Gotham. And that is because at the heart of it is always corrupt. It's always somebody at the top is always, or many people across the top are always in some way corrupt. And this film does, does actively explore that. Um, and that it's kind of controlled by a mob boss. And there's a mafia element in there who, that is, that is keeping, uh, keeping that kind of, unempathetic strain carrying on and then all of the kind of underlings all the people of the city they just all seem to be in gangs and they're all robbing shops or robbing banks or beating people up on tube stations or train stations um and and you know criminality was run rife and the whole place is rotten to the core and the batman is just doing his best to try and keep up with all of this and, and and sort of keep it going so in that respect for me, it's almost as if Gotham is this extreme representation or extreme expression of a kind of world of neurotypicality that has gone completely unchecked by neurodiversity. Uh, like where the kind of the, the, the typical problems of neurotypicality, so like selfishness and um, uh, being very big-headed and very self-important and every man for himself with a lot of individuality um, and prone to corruption and all this kind of thing that sort of is that I would potentially characterize as, a, as the characteristics of neurotypicality in, the, in a negative sense. And therefore Batman and Bruce Wayne are positioned as this kind of neurodivergent strain that is going out there and fighting this toxic neurotypicality and trying to stop it from totally taking over this contained world of Gotham, um, which I think is quite interesting. And in, and in some ways then that turns Bruce Wayne into this um, almost sort of autistic figure. He's singularly focused on Gotham. He's quite isolated. He's um, He's got this kind of drive and this passion to sort this problem out despite the, the enormity of it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I sort of see him in that in that fashion. So it's it's, it's interesting there then that you know the villains of Batman, Bat villains are always sort of picking upon his kind of of these obsessions to try and sort of sort everything out and 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 uh, be the the hero of the of this place as his 
kind of almost as his psychological quote unquote problem in a way. Um, yeah, so I, I, it's interesting to think of Bruce Wayne and as Batman in that as that figure um, in a kind of potentially neurodivergent hero in some ways, and in, and in a way that is that is that I think is more so than someone like Spider Man or Superman. Like for me, Spider Man is. Spider-Man is this this teenager who accidentally gets bitten by a spider and then can do all these mad and amazing things. And he always seems to be having so much fun when he's doing his crime busting, swinging around New York. Everything's bright and sunny. He's got his sunny kind of costume on. He's great. It's, everyone loves him. It's fun. Superman is a bit more involved with kind of bigger international huge problems and he's this alien from a different place and he's sorting out the bigger things. And Batman is isolated in this gothic place He's always miserable. He's always got problems. He's always struggling with this, with this really unempathetic world. So. It's really interesting you say that, like sort of comparing Batman and Superman is that, you know, something that I, I, I've often heard sort of other autistic people say, and I say sometimes is that it'll, sometimes being, being neurodivergent almost feels like sort of being coming from another planet and suddenly like sort of observing people and, and, and not enti- always understanding the way that they behave. And obviously with Superman... That's very much the case. It's the same with Thor. It's it's sort of the the, the source of a lot of jokes. But there's there's almost that sense with Batman that he comes from this very sort of unique position within Gotham, this sort of isolated castle and mansion that 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 he's been he's sort of inherited from his father and and her mother, and that he he has no connection to sort of the people on the ground. So he almost is able to sort of observe them at a level of remove. Um, that that sort of allows him to beat the bad ones down to the ground. Like, I mean, the the way that he beats up the villains in this film <laughs> is really visceral. Like the first scene when he's punching people, it really hits very hard, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is the good guy. Like, <laughs> um, whereas I think that the connection that he has to people, uh, the sort of the good people, the empaths, as as it were, as, as sort of Commissioner Gordon yeah. and and Alfred, and I think I that think extends it. that extends through all of the Batman films. That these are always sort of our anchors into who we will who will always be doing the right thing, and it's Alfred Pennyworth and and Commissioner Gordon, um, and I think Jeffrey Wright does that brilliantly in this film. I wasn't so sold on Andy Serkis. Um, I think I, I I don't know if that's because I love Michael Goff so much as, mm. as Alfred in, um, in in some of the earlier films, and 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 um, I think Michael Caine did a very good job of it as well. I mean, I, I I don't have anything against Andy Serkis. I just I almost wish he'd had a bit more time to sort of be Alfred. Yeah. Um, or of course the best Batman film, the Lego Batman movie, where you've got. Um, Ray Fiennes, I think it is, mm-hmm. as, as, as Alfred in, 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 in that. And um, it's these are people who have sort of existed before Batman, <laughs> the, yeah. um, who are able to sort of, you know, make give him a talking to when he's being sort of almost like a petulant child, that you sort of get the impression that Alfred is his sort of father figure who's sort of reminding him that he needs to take these things into consideration and, yeah. and that he, the actions that he has done are not right by virtue of the fact that he has done them, that he has sort of given himself this status as, as sort of the saviour of, of the Dark Knight, as it were, of, of, of Gotham. Um, which I, th- I think Robert Pattinson does very well in this film, perhaps more so than, than some of the previous actors who have played Batman. Um, the sort of 
not caring much Batman of Ben Affleck or or the uh, hmm. the very sort of tech savvy and obsessed uh, Christian Bale or the, <laughs> the incredibly suave three earlier Batman (laughs) Val Kilmer Kilmer sort of you know chicks love cars type Batman Um, (laughs) I I, I think that that Robert Pattinson does do something different in that you know he's not sort of doesn't have that level of self-righteousness sort of overt self-righteousness it's not coming from a position of narcissism or egomania but at the same time he does need to be reminded of those things. And it's good that there are these characters who are coded as very empathetic, sort of um, understanding of, of, of human nature in a way that Bruce Wayne might not be, um, who who are able to sort of ground him and, and, and give him that sort of necessary um, talking to at times. Yeah, he's the emo Batman, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> really is. <laughs> I really liked it. I, I, I agree. I think he's probably one of my favourite Batmans. He's um, he was curiously refreshing, almost as the character in a way. Uh, he did seem well. Robert Pattinson always seems this way, doesn't he? I guess, but he he did seem to have the weight of the world on his shoulders more so than previous actors in that role. I think, and um, uh, yeah, I liked his kind of exaggerated um, running mascara emo kind of makeup that when he took off took his hood off for the first time writing in his diary as well oh yeah <laughs> listening to Nirvana yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's coming quite endearing almost about it all in a way um, yeah um, we spent quite a bit of time talking about um, sort of the characterization of Batman and the Riddler. Um, and I think something that Alex brought up was like our methodology of doing just that. Yeah. Um, and so I wondered, maybe we should spend like 10 or 15 minutes talking about that. Yeah, it's a tricky question. And it's, it's kind of hard in some ways to sort of be meta podcasting and trying to think about like, ourselves and and what we what we talk about and how we and how that figures on like yeah I guess whether we're sort of well okay what I'm trying to say I think is that I think as a podcast we've always been pretty careful actually about not explicitly saying this character is autistic this character is autistic um but perhaps occasionally we do slip into this easier shorthand where we might say oh yeah the reasons why i think maybe bruce wayne is autistic or the riddler is autistic um and that in itself might be maybe a bit problematic and a bit um tricky of us to do that but we have always been careful to to sort of pad it uh, pad these caveats around it to say that when we are more interested in the kind of i guess the aura of autism or the kind of um the the What's the what's the kind of I, I the way the way I always think of it is sort of reading an autistic sensibility into 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 sort of the fabric of the film um, that that for us for for those of us who sort of are autistic watching these films that it's always sort of it's always valid if we're sort of seeing aspects of ourselves reflected in them or or the ways that yeah. we're thinking and and I think that that can attach itself to characters 
And I think when we're talking about characters as being portrayed as autistic is that really what we're doing is sort of picking apart stereotypes or archetypes or, or sort of potentially harmful aspects of characterization, particularly when we're talking about villains um, in, in, in this film, that, that we are wondering if, if that's something that, has, that is coded deliberately and why that might be problematic or why, to some extent, that might actually be a positive thing and a form of representation that we don't necessarily feel um, from other films. Um, so yeah, I, th I think it does have value. I don't think it's as simple as, as sort of what the, 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 the parody piece was doing, which mm -hmm. is sort of like, you know, sticking a label on someone and saying, well, that's what they must be. I think it's more, more nuanced than that. And I think that we are, we're not, we're not, we're not sort of producing clickbaity style articles where we're sort of, you know, point, sort of pointing these things out. We're, we're actually having <laughs> reasoned discussions based on sort of personal experience and, and based in, in in our respective areas of research that I think means that there is there is value to that um whether it is you know to the point of sort of how might our discussions be viewed in 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 30 years if we're thinking about sort of the way that these the, the sort of how how future-proof these discussions might be as it were um I I honestly don't know but I think sort of Talking about films, no matter how old they are, whether it's as something as recent as as the Batman or something as 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 old as sort of silent cinema, um, that that it is sort of relevant to us now, and and I think that that's a, a, a very useful framing tool. Yeah, I don't. I think um, what what you said earlier about how you learnt to to talk to people about films because they identified with the films and, and that's kind of what we do in this podcast is like like you said especially the autistic members of of us we we identify with characters and, and even the, the non-autistic members like we we identify like traits and and a, and a I guess a vibe like a feeling like and and, and we do pick apart why that might have been included, or 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 if if that was an influence, if we if we feel it is, um, I don't, yeah, like you said, there is a, there is a lot of uh, clickbait um, type articles where it's like these are the different um, I don't know Disney princesses as mental illnesses and stuff like that, and it's like. I don't know if that's a real article, but um, <laughs> it almost certainly oh, yeah. exists. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to Google this now. <laughs> Carry but, on talking, um, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think we, um, I don't think we fall into that territory. Definitely not. And I mean, it, if anything, we just get excited to talk about these characters that that we that we uh, identify with and, and feel feel something for mm. yeah and i think it's the nature of, of there are there, by the way there are many articles <laughs> of course. um many many oh uh, that has that have diagnosed everything yeah. oh my god well i when i was researching this before and i i found there was a clickbaity article that that pairs up um batman villains with various mental health 
disorders or concerns. Um, and the Riddler was connected to autism in that article, uh, interestingly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I also think that the sort of the long form nature of the, of podcasting and, and the fact that we have persisted this with this now for twenty five plus episodes. Um, and we, you know, we do take a due consideration on each of the films that we that we look at, and often for me, the 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 conversations that we've had have been have moved into very uh, quite surprising directions and quite intriguing directions. And it would be interesting if there was ever if there are any listeners out there who have been there since the beginning or have, have listened to a, on a, a lot of our episodes, whether there is any kind of sense that we have. I don't know, being on a kind of journey of reconfiguring our ideas about autism and about autistic representation, about autism on screen. I do think that I personally, as someone who is non-autistic, who came to this as a non-autistic person and, and, and remains a non-autistic person, I haven't been made autistic by this podcast, so that would be quite a miracle. Um, you know, as somebody who is that kind of non-autistic person, and, and, and you know, I feel like I have um, learned lots of really interesting and surprising things and ways of seeing autism on the screen that I hadn't previously, and uh, and and that means that now I can sit down and watch a film like The Batman, um, and see you know be seeing the kind of threads of this autistic aura, autistic sensibility that that exists within even a film like that, which has got nothing to do with autism on the surface. Um, had had any of us seen this before? Um, Alex suggested. That we look at this from this perspective. I think I had. You had. Yeah. I don't think it would have occurred to me to look at it in this film. No, me neither. Or like, if I hadn't gone in thinking, right, I'm gonna sort of look, try to see if I connect with with the like the character of the Riddler, for example, because I. I had mistakenly read that email and thought that this was a real article, <laughs> and then tried to find it, and then yeah, couldn't. Um, so. John James, when you watched it, did was it something that you thought, oh yes, this would be a great one to talk about on the podcast? Um, not, not really, not, not <laughs> at all. Um, I, yeah. I, I kind of did. Um, I think I, I said in an email that I kind of, I saw it as a very specific, you know, um, depiction of of incel sort of mm-hmm. internet outrage, um, violent culture, but I did. I didn't necessarily link it in my mind, with autism at all. Um, yeah, because I, I, suppose, I suppose I was asking this because I I wonder, in terms of sort of methodology, if how, how it does change, like mm. whether or not it is something that we must consciously do. I mean, I think there's a, there are definitely films that I'm watching not conscious of it, and I connect to it, mm. and then will reflect on it. But with a film film like this, for example, I don't know if I would have done if I hadn't sort of gone in with that framing and thinking, oh, we're going to be talking about this in this way. And sort of, and I wonder if that changes sort of the extent to which we sort of pull things out from it that might not, we might not otherwise have noticed. I, I find it useful personally, because I think it's really interesting to, to think about these things. I just w- wonder if that sort of skews the way that we respond to, to the films that we talk about. Yeah, I think when I, when we came out of the cinema, I cut because I didn't know we were going to be talking about this. I kind of thought, yeah, that was all right, like a bit too <laughs> a bit too long, and and I would have preferred more detective 
um, investigation, but um, yeah, it was okay. And I didn't really think I'd think about it that much again, mm-hmm. which yeah, is quite harsh. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I, yeah. So I'm glad you didn't feel compelled to have to sit for it again. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I probably wouldn't have done that. It was it was just too long to do that. It is interesting that you bring up an interesting point there, Linnea, about like what what's going on in our heads when we are sitting down to watch a film purposefully for this podcast, which is the majority of the films that we've that I've covered so far when I've when I've been a a, a host on here. The majority of them I hadn't seen before, and I had to sit down. To specifically thinking, okay, I'm going to look for the autistic content here and 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 really think about that whilst I'm watching this film. Um, and it's not uh, the, the, like the surprising episode for me was when I was rewatching Chunking Express, which is a which you were also on, Lillian. Yeah. Um, which uh, was I was going to mention the same one. Yeah. In the in the same way. Yeah. yeah it was a film that I was already very familiar with, already adored, and absolutely loved, but I'd never really properly thought about. You know, I never thought about it in that context before. Gave that film, which is just a magical film anyway, but gave that film a new sheen, a new patina, a new kind of uh, feel, um, in a way, which which in its own special way was a sort of nice kind of little magical new connection to make with that particular film. Um, but this is the nature of film. Like, like we think of films as these kind of static one experience things, really, I suppose. But actually, one of the beautiful things about this podcast and about this kind of investigation process has been able, as the ability for us to sort of look again at, at films in a different context, in a different light. Um, and that has, I think... I think that's something quite special, and I think that's something quite uh, can be quite transformative in many ways. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think I think talking about a, a new release like this has been really useful um, and yeah. interesting because, uh, as you say, we normally talk about sort of older films and, and 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 look at them that way. But it is interesting to sort of see how how our sort of sense of the sort of feelings of autism in cinema and, and, and our responses to it are different with sort of very contemporary films and with, with, with older films and how sort of the extent to which we can connect with them in different modes of storytelling that we get now, like a big sort of blockbuster film like, 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 like this by comparison to, I don't know, a sort of French art house film from mm. the 50s, I don't know. <laughs> I think it is... There is a sort of interesting um, historicity to to those comparisons and to and to these conversations. Yeah, definitely. Well, I hope I hope Alex listens back to this, and, and I hope that satisfies <laughs> the the questions that. Did we asked. miss any of his questions? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Probably. Um, but you know, I, I yeah, I, I think that we've covered most of what he's what mm. he's uh, what he's asked there. Um, I mean, they're, they're quite tricky questions in many ways. It'd be interesting if anybody listening to this episode has has their own answers <laughs> and if they want to, to get in touch with us. I would love to, to, you know, read out some email correspondence from people if they want to chip in on this. Um, you know, are we doing a, a, a good enough job of, of exploring these issues or is there anything that we potentially could be doing differently or reconsidering, I think? Um, but, yeah, it's certainly... It's certainly interesting, and now we've had so many, we've recorded so many episodes of this. We're a good solid year into uh, into these podcast recordings. More than that, really, it's nice to spend a little 
little bit of time sort of reflecting on on what we've where we've been and what we've done. He'd have thought that Matt Reeves' The Batman would be the film to do <laughs> it. No, it's, just, it's a really surprising turn of events, and I wasn't expecting this at all. But um, there we have it. You know, there we go. Um, but anyway, yes, we have been recording for quite some time now, so I think maybe that's a good point to uh, round things off. Um, so thank you very much. Well, thank you first of all for to, to Matt Reeves for making The Batman and for uh, enabling us to sit for three hours in a cinema. Uh, watching it unfold um, but mostly thank you also to John James and to Lillian um, for your thoughts today um, and that's it really I guess we'll just round it off I haven't got anything clever to say about the Batman to finish things off except I don't know be safe out there um, uh, yeah okay thank you very much we should be back uh, in a couple of weeks time with a new episode so thank you and goodbye You have been listening to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project from Queen Mary, University of London, and The Wellcome Trust. Big thanks to Leverett Jakes for editing this episode. Our theme song is Waterfall by Meter, used under a Creative Commons attribution from Null Teal Records. Follow us on Twitter at Autism Cinema, and find out more about the project on autism-through-cinema.org.uk. If you have any feedback, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, please do get in touch with us on cinemaautism at gmail.com. Many thanks for listening.